I appreciate uh, Billy's kind comments. Um, he's kind of contractually obligated to say those things because he is worried that I will revoke his degrees. I'm always glad to uh, have the opportunity to uh, be with you all, visit with you, and of course uh, to share some things from God's Word. We especially enjoy uh, coming and, and being with you for VBS. Um, every year that we've been here, we've been uh, here for VBS. I, I do have a concern, though. Is Justin here tonight? Justin evidently, uh, and you all have to maybe figure this out, uh, evidently my daughter had to correct him about the Big Bang. Um, so, uh, so evidently there were some things in uh, my daughter got very vocal during VBS. So I, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, we enjoy coming here and, and, and being with you all. Uh, tonight we are, we're, we're looking at the, the Ten Commandments uh, is, is kind of, from what I understand, the, the general theme for the summer series this year. And, and I, I'm kind of starting that Ten Commandments off. And so the topic uh, Doug and I, as we communicated, uh, talked about um, is, I am the Lord your God. Now, that's the part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 that starts off the Ten Commandments. And so God, in giving um, the Ten Commandments to uh, Moses, says in Exodus 20 and verse 2, uh, well, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 3. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Some of you might be, maybe some of you aren't. There are different numberings of the Ten Commandments. There are differences between Jews... Catholics, and then everybody else that would be non-Catholic, right? And and a lot of that has influenced how we uh, in the church number uh, the Ten Commandments as well. The Jewish version of the Ten Commandments starts off with the first commandment being, "I am the Lord your God." That's the first of the Ten Commandments. Now we usually think of well, the first commandment is, "You shall have no other gods before me," right? We think, okay, that first part, "I am the Lord your God," that's kind of just a introductory type of remark, yet the Jews have seen it historically as the first commandment and that it's kind of connected with that verse 3. And it's all connected there. I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, whether we count that as a separate commandment or not, let me ask you this. Now, I am a teacher by trade, so I tend to teach not preach. I have preached. I do some preaching, but I tend to teach. So I'm looking for response. If I'm not looking for a response when I ask you a question, I'll let you know. I'll say that's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer that. So this question I'm looking for participation on. Why start off with an identification of God? Why does God start off? Right? He's getting ready to lay out these ten commands, right? these ten words, as the text says. He starts off with, I am the Lord, your God. Authority. 
Okay, so he's kind of establishing who he is. Okay. All right, so there's that, there's that notion of uh, the, the essence or the identification in contrast to other gods, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. All right, so that, that idea of understanding the commandments requires understanding God or, or recognizing these come from God. I mean... In many respects, a lot of the things that we see in the Ten Commandments, there are a lot of atheists that follow many of them. They honor their parents. They don't steal. They don't kill. They don't commit adultery. They're moral, upstanding people. So people that don't believe in God can follow those commandments and still live a good life, still be an example but it's different when you understand it in the context of, right? I am the Lord your God, therefore, right? Don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother, uh, you know, uh, uh, don't covet, don't steal, etc. Any other thoughts as to why start off with identification? Well, then let's let's. Go this route then, right? Thinking about that phrase, I'm the Lord your God. Let's focus on that word God for a little bit. Who is God? What are some characteristics you would say are important for recognizing who God is? All right, our Lord, our shepherd, creator. All right, we have all those kind of uh, omni words, right? Omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, all-present, or he's everywhere. What else? Loving. Loving. Father. What else? Caring. Caring. Source of life. life. One and true Savior. I'm sorry, one more time. All powerful. Have you ever thought about the difference between what God is like and what you think God is like? There was a social philosopher in the middle of the 19th century named Ludwig Feuerbach. It's not spelled that way, but that's pronounced that way. He's German. You've got to watch out sometimes the way Germans pronounce their words. Ludwig Feuerbach. Um, Feuerbach was pretty much an atheist. 
But when he wanted to, one of the books that he wrote was called The Essence of Christianity. And the comment that Feuerbach made was that when we talk about God as human beings, when we talk about God, what we do is we take all of the qualities that we think are most important in human endeavor, right? something like love, let's say, and we project that out and say, there must be some sort of greatest expression of love, and that's what God's like. So Feuerbach didn't believe in God, but he said the way we talk about God is we take all the things we think are good about human life, and we kind of project them into this divine, supreme being we've invented. Now, I think, obviously, right, Feuerbach is off the rails with whether God exists or not. Right? I, I think that there's good reason to believe God exists. But I think that he was on track about something when it comes to our thinking of God. Often, we take our own experience and project that onto God and say, oh, God's like that. Often, the way we do it has to do with how we, how we dealt with and how we experienced our own fathers. If you had a father who was cold or distant, maybe even abusive, though I hope nobody in here has experienced that, we might think of God as being cold and distant. Right? He's looking for us to slip up, to strike us down. And so we're constantly in fear. What are we doing? Is that really what God's like? No, it's my own experience that I've projected onto God. And so we have to be careful in our thinking about who God is that we're not reading our own experience onto God. And I think part of what God's doing in not only the Ten Commandments, but throughout the law, really throughout the Old Testament, is showing himself, revealing himself to Israel for them to understand who he is, not who they think he is. And so we have to be careful uh, about us because in many respects, God makes us in his image, but often we refashion God in our image. We make God look like us, or we think God's like us, or we want God to be like how I think God should be. That can be true, right, from the negative side, right? So I, I have all these negative views of my own father, and so I view God that way, very negatively, distant, cold, etc. But we can also go the exact opposite into the other opposite end of the, the, the spectrum and think about God as, uh, you know, well, I had this grandfather that just doted on me and gave me anything I wanted and, and uh, you know, let me get away with anything. And sometimes we can have that kind of opinion of God as well. All right? Well, you know, God really loves me, so he doesn't really care if I do such and such. 
And so we can misread, we can misunderstand God, we can fashion God in our image, what we want him to be, instead of allowing God to tell us who he is. Right? We can do the very thing that he warns them to do, not to do. Right? You shall have no other gods before me. That includes the, the, the God that we invent on our own. That, that, that can be just as much an idol as creating a calf, a golden calf. And so it's important for us to, to think about, all right, who is God? How does he reveal himself? Do I truly understand uh, who God is? Throughout uh, Scripture, especially the Old Testament, there are several of these passages where, where God uses the phrase, I am the Lord. Right? Or maybe even, I am the Lord your God. Because he wants his people to understand who he is. Obviously in the Old Testament, he's talking the Jews and the Israelites and then the Jews. He wants them to understand who he is. He wants us to understand who he is. Now, certainly we cannot understand the totality of God. We cannot understand all the mysteries of God. Here's a perfect example. We just said, somebody just said a little bit ago, right, about the, the omni-phrases, right? Omniscient, omnipotent, and I added that last one, omnipresent. Right? God is everywhere. Would you say tonight, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. This is a rhetorical question. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because while I know the answer for about 95% of you, there's 5% where I'm not sure, and I don't, want to, I don't want to embarrass that 5% potentially. But you can feel free to nod if you, if you want to. God is omnipresent. Jesus is God in human form. You want to nod that? That's right. I feel confident that a majority of us, if not all of us here tonight, would say Jesus is God in human form. Jesus of Nazareth could not be omnipresent. You ever think about that? Jesus is God in human form, yet as Jesus of Nazareth... He could not be omnipresent. There's a good reason why he couldn't be omnipresent. He was a human being. Right? Human beings, right, bounded by bodies, we can't be everywhere. So how does that work? Scripture doesn't tell us. It asks us to believe that on faith. So there's a lot I can't tell you about God. I just don't know. But God reveals a lot to us so that we can know. And so for just a, a couple minutes, I want to look at a couple of passages, just briefly talk about a couple of passages here, where God uses this phrase, I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God. Again, these aren't meant to be comprehensive. We're not going to go to everything. Uh, you know, I just want, to, want us to get a, get a look at this. The first one, Genesis 15, 7. In Genesis 15, 7, God is talking to Abraham. 
He's in the process of specifically making a covenant with Abraham. Right? Now, now, there's a lot of things. The relationship between God and Abraham has been going on for three chapters now. Right? God has uh, led Abraham, uh, Abram uh, out of his land. Right? And now he says in Genesis 15:7, as they're making the formal covenant, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Right? What's God doing? Right? I'm the Lord. Here's what I've done. What have I done? I brought you out of that land to give you this land. Abraham, I want you to know who I am. I'm the God that when you were back in Ur said, come on out of there. I'm going to take you to a place that I'm going to show you. Genesis 28.13. In this case, God is speaking to Jacob. And he says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. What's God doing here? Right? God's appearing to, to Jacob. Right? Jacob, of course, is, is getting ready to go on the run because he knows his brother Esau wants to kill him. And so he's running off to his uncle Laban. Because he's going to live there for a while. He's probably thinking, am I ever going to see my family again? And what does God do? God appears to him and says, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Your father Isaac. What's one of the things that's been passed down from Abraham to Isaac to probably Jacob, or at least Jacob's probably heard? God's giving us this land. God's going to provide us. And so God says, God of your, uh, Abraham, God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Exodus 6, 7. Exodus 6. Um, Moses has gone back to Egypt. He's talking to the Israelites telling them uh, what God has appointed him to do, the task that uh, he's been given, how they fit into what God's going to do. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh's already resistant. Uh, Moses knows he's going to have problems. And so God says, uh, beginning in uh, verse 6, excuse me, uh, verse 6, Say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will free you from the burden of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burden of the Egyptians. All right? Who's God telling them he is now? I'm the God who's going to take you out of slavery. I'm the God who's going to free you from the Egyptians. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. Excuse me. 
God, in the process here of, of giving variety of laws, laws of purity and holiness uh, related to how the Israelites are to act, and he tells Moses uh, to say to them, For I am the Lord your God. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming creature that moves on the earth, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Throughout the book of Leviticus, God gives a variety of laws and He kind of punctuates them with, I am the Lord your God. Now, Leviticus can be a difficult book to get through. If you're one of those people that tries at the beginning of every year, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And in one year I'm going to read through the Bible. And you do one of those plans where you start in Genesis and you go straight through. Genesis, you're, you probably rock pretty good. You get to Exodus and, alright, that those first 20 chapters are alright. Once you get to the tabernacle stuff, it starts bogging down a little bit and then you hit Leviticus. Better luck next year. But I want you to I want you to see though that instead of seeing Leviticus as a book of law upon law upon law upon law, which is very easy to see it that way, Leviticus is telling us about the holiness of God. Why do you offer this type of sacrifice? For he's the Lord our God, he's holy. Why do you be careful about the kind of relationships that you have with people? Because He's God and He's holy. Why do you make sure you don't eat pork? Or you eat certain types of shellfish? Because He's God and He's holy. What's He doing? He's revealing who He is. And if He's going to be the Lord your God, then you need to be like Him. Now yes, those Levitical laws... They don't apply to us anymore. Probably a good thing, because a lot of us are probably breaking it, one of them tonight, and you don't even know it. If you're wearing anything on you that's a cotton poly blend, you're wearing mixed fibers, and that's against the law. I, I forget who it was last week. Maybe it was Jeremy. Said something about... He was talking about, I don't know if you remember this, right? He's talking about the organization of the, the camp around the tabernacle. And he talked about how Korah and, and Dathan and Abiram, they're, they're, they were pretty close to the Reubenites, right? And he said something about, uh, uh, you know, they, they might have met over the, the fire and they might have had some hot dogs. Well, not if they're good Israelites, they're not having hot dogs. I thought, good grief, Jeremy, what do you say? So fortunately today, if you want a hot dog, if you want a hot dog and you want shrimp, that's disgusting to have together. But if you wanted to do it, you would not be breaking God's law. So fortunately, we don't have to worry about following those laws, but they do tell us how God is and who God is to remind us, don't take lightly 
God's expectations. Don't take lightly God's commands. Because He is holy. Peter reminds us of this. Peter quotes from Leviticus. That we are to be holy because He is holy. Judges chapter 6 and verse 10. Judges chapter 6 involves the calling of Gideon uh, to be a a judge for God's people. And and God wants Gideon to give to the Israelites a message. Specifically because he says there in verse 10, I said to you, the you is the Israelites, I am the Lord your God. You shall not pay reverence to the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not given heed to my voice. Who am I? Right? Tell them who I am, Gideon. I am the Lord your God. You should have listened to me. But you didn't listen to me. And of course, because of that, uh, the Midianites were oppressing them. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 through 8. And a lot of places throughout the, the prophets... God calls back to the Israelites, particularly uh, particularly the Jews out of Isaiah, Jeremiah. Uh, well, Isaiah would yeah, with the southern kingdom to remind them about the law, and frequently either emphasizes right, "Thus saith the Lord," right, so that this message is coming from the Lord, or he says things like this: Isaiah chapter forty-two, verses six through eight. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. Uh, One chapter over in chapter uh, 43 he also says, for I am, this verse 3, Isaiah 43, 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. What's God telling them? God's telling them, well, I'm the Lord your God, but I'm it. I'm the Lord your God. There is no other. God alone exists. God alone has the characteristics. There are a lot of falsely called gods and falsely called lords, but the true one is the Holy One of Israel, the Savior. In Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 27, he says, See, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So who's God? Right? God's the one who brought Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees to give him the land. He's the one that said to Jacob, the land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. He's the one that freed the Israelites from the burden of the Egyptians. He's the Lord who is holy and calls us to be holy. Uh, he's the Lord uh, who is not uh, the, the God of the Amorites. He is the Lord... Uh, who calls in righteousness, who 
uh, who only is uh, God. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the Savior. He's the God of all flesh. There's a lot of other things and a lot of other passages we could pull together. So when God says, I'm the Lord your God, as He's beginning the Ten Commandments, all of those things, and so much more is wrapped up when He says, I'm the Lord your God. And so, certainly we say more about this idea about what, what means to be God. I, I want to turn now to thinking about when God says, I am the Lord. You know, when I think about this question, you know, I, I think about that question that Moses asked a few chapters earlier from Exodus 20. Right? Back in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses, having lived for 40 years away from his people, one day is out and comes across what? A burning bush. What's unique about a burning bush? I mean, we, you've probably seen other burning bushes. What's unique about this burning bush? Okay, a lot of people tried to answer all at the same time, and that's what I heard. Probably somebody was right. Let's try that again. What's unique about this burning bush? It's not consumed. It's not burning up. It's not burning up. The fire, the fire is not consuming it because, well, why? Why is the fire not consuming it? Who's, who's present in that bush? Are you sure? Is that what the text says? It says the angel of the Lord. Y'all just lost Bible Trivia 101. So who speaks to Moses out of the burning bush? Is that what the text says? There's another interesting thing, right? So there's this, this figure, the angel of the Lord. I wish we had more time to talk about this. Right, the angel of the Lord. He's referred to as the angel of the Lord. But sometimes he acts like the Lord. Now some people will say, oh, it's Jesus. I don't know that we have enough information to make that claim. But I do know this. When the angel of the Lord shows up, it is... As if God is there himself. So the angel of the Lord is there, but it's the Lord who speaks to Moses out of the bush. Again, one of those things that we, we just don't have enough information to completely understand. So God speaks to Moses out of the bush, and he tells Moses he's got a, uh, a, a job, a, a work that he wants Moses to do. What does God want Moses to do? Right? To lead the people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Right? Go back to where you were in Egypt and lead them out. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. <clears throat> What's the first question? Well, one of the first questions that Moses asks about this. 
who should I say has sent me? All right? So when I go there and, and tell the people, right, the God of our Father says, right, I'm going to release you from the bondage of the Egyptians. Who shall I say has sent me? What does, what does God respond? I am who I am. Right? This, is, this is what you should say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, there are a lot of textual issues with that phrase. And so you'll find some that will say, I am that I am, I am who I am. You know, there's some slight different variations among translations. Um, but essentially, God is expressing this notion of beingness. Right? I, I am, I, I be, I, right? you know, there's, there's a notion here of I'm the only one who exists. My, think about it this way. All of us that are in here are what philosophers refer to as contingent beings. Contingent beings. We exist because of some other reason. Right? Predominantly, we exist because we were created by somebody else. Right? There was a man, there was a woman. That's the reason you're here, that's the reason I'm here. We're contingent. Our existence is dependent upon something else. But God's existence is what philosophers refer to as necessary. God is a necessary being, not a contingent being. God doesn't exist because somebody else made him exist. He needs to exist. Why does he need to exist? Because he's God. And so wrapped up in I am who I am is God's demonstration of the necessity of his existence. He cannot help but exist. Now, wrapped up with that is also something else we see from our text. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. And verse 2. Now as you look at Exodus 20 and verse 2, where Moses said, or when, excuse me, when God says, I am the Lord, do you notice anything different about the Lord? The, the word Lord? Does it show up differently in the translation? How does it show up differently? Right, it's printed in what we refer to as maybe small caps. Right, They're, The L is usually bigger, but the O-R-D is in capital letters, but it's a little bit smaller than the L. Why is it like that? God's not like that, right? You know, verse, verse 1, right? Then God said, right? why, uh, why is it like that? 
It doesn't always appear. I mean, there are other times when you see the word Lord, where it's a capital L and some lowercase O-R-D. What does it mean when it's small caps? I know some of you know this. I know a couple that should know this. Do we not know this? When it appears in small caps like that, that's God's name. So when we see Lord with the small capitals, what it's telling us is that the, the translators that translated our tra translations are indicating to us that when you see it like that, that's God's name. Did you know God had a name? God is not God's name. God has a name, a personal name. Do you know what it is? No, you don't. You might think you know what it is, but you don't really know what it is. I mean, there were people, century or so more ago, that said, well, God's name is Jehovah. And they were wrong. They misunderstood what the Hebrew uh, scribes had done. So it's not Jehovah. More modern times, people have said it's Yahweh. But they can't be 100% sure about that either. It's probably more likely Yahweh than Jehovah. Part of the reason we don't know God's name is because of that commandment about not using the name of the Lord in vain. So the Hebrew scribes wanted to make sure that nobody misused God's name. And so as they were you know, copying out the text, they made some notation that when you got to that word as you were reading it out, right, reading it out loud, that instead of saying God's personal name, you said the Hebrew word for Lord. And that's why it says Lord in our English text. Because we don't know what God's name is. Who shall I say has sent me? Right, the Lord. Yahweh, for lack of a better option. Which is why when Pharaoh, when Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, he says to them, Who is Yahweh? I don't know Yahweh. Right? If they just said the Lord, you know, but what are they doing? I know, I know Ammon. I know Het. I know Ra. Right? This is Pharaoh's idea. I know all these gods. I don't know a god named Yahweh. Well, who's Yahweh? Yahweh. Right? I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh, your God. So out of all the peoples of the earth, God chooses the Israelites to give them His personal name. He's not just God. He's not just Melikalam, king of the universe. He's Yahweh. Here's my personal name. Name. Here's the covenant I'm making with you. 
More than, more than a contract, more than an agreement. God is making a covenant with them when He says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And part of the way that we recognize this covenant is because I've given you my name. Which is also why, don't misuse God's name. Don't misuse, for lack of a better option, Yahweh. And so, God in starting out and saying, don't have any other gods before me. He's saying, here's my personal name. Here's the covenant I am making with you. I'm, I'm calling you. I'm making you mine. I am your God, and you shall know me because my name is Yahweh. God's choosing Israel. He didn't give His name to other nations. And so He tells them, don't have any other gods before Me. Now some translations will note, or, or uh, maybe even translate it this way, don't have any other gods besides Me. What's God saying? You can't have other gods. Why? Because I'm Yahweh, your God. Now, why not let... Why would Yahweh, why would God not let the Israelites worship any other gods? I mean, there's some scholars who believe that the Israelites fell into Baal worship because they believed, right? Here's Baal. He's this Canaanite god. And he's the Canaanite god of fertility, right? Human fertility, fertility of the ground, fertility of the land, etc. And so here are these Israelites, right? I know Baal. Baal, if I'm wanting good crops, I'll go to Baal. And then Yahweh, Yahweh's kind of, he's distant, he's separate, he's great. I'll go to him for the big things. But if I want my wife and I to have a kid, I'm going to Baal. Right? And so some scholars have suggested that's why Baal worship becomes popular. Because the golden calves at Bethel and Dan, they weren't false gods per se. They were idols to worship Yahweh. Jeroboam used them to worship Yahweh, to worship God. The problem was he created an animal to say this is Yahweh. Right? So they still have worship of Yahweh. But maybe there was this sense of Yahweh doesn't know what it's really like day to day, so we'll worship Baal. What's, so prob what's, what's the problem with that? Why, why would God be that concerned about that? That's not a rhetorical question. I'm looking for an answer. Yeah, part of it has to do with God's uniqueness. Right? He's one of a kind. He is jealous, not wholly jealous, right? H-O-L-Y, jealous. He's the only God, right? You might think you can go to Baal and have him take care of your right infertility, help your crops go. Guess what? Right? Elijah proved this. Baal can't help you out. You know why? Because Baal doesn't exist. 
Right? So there's the notion of don't have gods besides me, before me, because there, there are none. All right, yeah, so you get this idea of, you know, not making idols, not making images, right? God is not like the birds, the calves, human beings. Right? And so God can't be worshipped that way. To try and say, this is what God looks like, minimizes God. Beyond that, though, when God is calling Israel, right, through Moses, the burning bush, through Exodus chapter 6, right, I'm Yahweh, one who released you from the Egyptians, here in Exodus 20, God gives them his personal name a marker of how special the relationship is with him and his people. What about for us? Does God do anything like that for us? What was that? Even more. All right? So uh, he gives us his spirit... Right? The, the, the Spirit is a down payment of our salvation. There's something special about the Spirit. But there's something similar to what God does with the Israelites, whether through the burning bush or on that burning mountain, to what He does for us. Okay, he releases us from bondage of sin, like he released them from the, the bondage of, of physical slavery in Egypt. He adopts us, right? Now we're getting closer to what I'm looking for. Close, but not quite. All right, his son, that's important. If you heard of the word Abba, what does the word Abba mean. Right? It's an Aramaic term that suggests closeness. Most of the time, our translators will translate it as father. But again, it's, it's, it's emblematic of closeness. Right? So don't necessarily, if you aren't close to your father, don't read Abba through that relationship. Because Abba is the word that represents the closeness between a child and her, his father. See, God's still Yahweh. Was that the second bell or the first? That was the second one. Last point. God is still Yahweh. And we have, as his children, right, as Christians, right to that personal name, even though we don't know what it is, we have right to that personal name. But we more than that have right to Abba. 
Because he is not just Yahweh, our God. He's our Father. That's an entirely different relationship. But it still calls us the same kind of things that God called Israel to in Exodus chapter 20. No other gods before Him. All the types of emphasis on holiness. But above all, He doesn't want to just be Yahweh speaking to people from burning bushes and burning mountains. He wants to be Abba. And we'll close. Thank you.